Food and Faith podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Memphis Theological Seminary. Memphis Theological Seminary is currently accepting applications to join the next cohort of the Doctor of Ministry in Land, Food, and Faith Formation. This dynamic and innovative low-residency program is open to students who are passionate about the intersections of ministry with agricultural practices, food justice, care for the land, and the role of faith communities in both rural and urban settings. Students in this program explore the theological and ethical dimensions of land and its use, the role of food in our lives, and the ways faith communities both shape and are shaped by their relationship with land and food. This program will provide theological resources and practical models for the practice of ministry in faith communities, which seek to relate more intentionally to the care of land, food, and all living creatures. The first one-week residency for the new cohort takes place in June 2022, and applications are currently being accepted until April 30th. For more information and to apply, visit memphisseminary.edu. Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chamberlain. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Food and Faith Podcast. This is Derek. This week's episode is really fun. I love it when my worlds collide. And in this episode, as a part of our Just Kitchen series, Anna and I have a conversation with Reverend Bruce Reyes Chow about his love of food. Bruce was my internship supervisor when I was in seminary and one of my important mentors in ministry. He's also become a good friend. We had a lot of fun working together. And as you'll hear, we still have a good time any chance we get to talk. Bruce is an author, speaker, parent, consultant, coach, podcaster, and pastor. He speaks and writes on issues of faith, technology, race, parenting and church culture. He is currently the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, senior consultant with the Convergence Network, and a Gallup certified strengths coach. Bruce hosts the podcast BRC and Friends and is the author of five books. His latest is In Defense of Kindness, and he is currently working on his next book, Everything I Believe About God. He can be found on most social networks via at B. Reyes Chow. Before we start, just a reminder that you can support the work of the Food and Faith Podcast at patreon.com slash foodandfaithpodcast. Honestly, even a dollar a month is a huge help. Okay, enjoy my and Anna's conversation with Bruce Reyes Chow. All right, we are here with Bruce Reyes Chow. Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, it's going to be with you all. So we, um, we like to begin all of our interviews with this question, and that is, what is your geography? What are the places, people, music, food, et cetera, that have shaped you to be the person that you are today? Wow. Not just what I had for breakfast this morning. No, not just uh, what so you had for no. breakfast this morning. No. <laughs> you're, di- you're diving deep. I'm asking to take you're a little deeper deep. than that. <laughs> cool. cool. Uh, so uh, third generation Filipino Chinese uh, grandparents on both sides immigrated to the United States in the uh, 30s and 40s. Uh, rich history, tradition out of those both, both of those experiences, farm workers, uh, Mahjong pit boss, uh, paper son uh, on my Chinese side, just so uh, greatly formed by those two communities. Uh, mostly raised by my Filipino side. My mom and dad were divorced early on. Northern California, born and raised. 
Um, so if you know, if folks know anything about California, uh, Northern California is pretty arrogant about itself, comparing itself to Southern California. And then the smugness just gets caught. Co- it, it gets concentrated in San Francisco where I lived for 30 years. So, you know, it's, it's terrible. Um, so I lived in San Francisco for 30 years, uh, went to San Francisco state, went to San Francisco theological seminary. Um, I talk a big game about expanding where God may lead you, but I've never lived more than 90 miles away from my mother. So, you know. <laughs> Um, Northern Cal, I, I love Northern California. Um, currently I'm in San, in Palo Alto, California. I've been here at First Presbyterian Church for a couple of years now. I uh, got here just in time, uh, about six months before the pandemic. So, um, and, and it's been Great fun. I'm, it is perfect. Perfect timing. Um, married 31 years, which, you know, we watch TV now and like, oh, that couple is old. And they're like, younger than us so uh we've been at this a while three kids uh my oldest uh identifies as non-binary and they are tw- late mid-20s i don't even i think they have to be on their insurance next year there's some that some around that age um and i have a middle a, a middle kid who's a, a junior uh at a college in southern california and then we became empty nesters our youngest one just went away to college this past fall I am a big sports fan, but very particular sports. Like, I don't know. I don't understand college football and college sports at all for some of you all. One person, at least I know from this group, pays attention to college sports, but I do not. I don't get it. Uh, But I love women's soccer. We're big women's soccer fans. We travel to the Women's World Cup, wherever it is, uh, as our big vacation every four years. And I'm a big Oakland Athletics baseball fan, Uh, have um, partial season tickets, and I've been a fan for a long time because my grandfather, who uh, took me to games when I was, was little, big social media person, love how that creates community and have uh, been working that kind of social media muscle for the last uh, decade plus, which has come into, um, it's been a little handy during the last uh, 18 months of pandemic uh, to do online worshiping community. And uh, I'm, uh, God, I hate saying I'm a big coffee drinker because that just feels very bougie, bro bio but i do love coffee uh every day i actually shocked my kids the other day and i told them how much coffee i drank and both of my college kids were like dad that's not healthy (laughs) (laughs) i was like shut up i'm self-medicating i'm self-medicating um uh, so big, I, I love to cook. Uh, I'm the primary cook in the household, actually, um, and uh, cook all kinds of things. But we'll get into that, I'm, I'm sure, later. But uh, we will. Um, kind of a, I'm kind of a, you know, I, I, I think pandemic for me has learned to, I, 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 my introvert extrovertness has really been nurtured a lot. I am, um, have really developed a, a, a love of being alone uh, in, in a way that I hadn't before. And so I'm, I'm trying to pick up things that, uh, feed my soul individually. So I've, I've gotten to the house plants. Yeah. It's a little, I talk to them all the time. There's one, right by, oh, people can't see bad radio. There's one right behind me, uh, but they're all over the house uh, now uh, all indoor. Cause I don't like to get dirty. So I won't do gardening outside like Derek does. Yeah. There you go. Is that enough? Yeah. We can all connect on that house plants, but I think Derek and I would be trying to drag you outside as well, but <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so stick with the house plants. That's good. That's good. Well, we would love to dive more into the specific geography of um, your kitchen. And you talked a bit about your primary cook and your current kitchen. And we would love to hear about your current kitchen, but maybe also start with 
tell us about your kitchen growing up um, and how do you trace some of those threads into your, sure. your current kitchen and cooking life? Yeah. So I was a latchkey kid, you know, Gen Xer who, I mean, I had to cook for myself. Otherwise I wasn't going to eat. And so, you know, and I, I, I tell that to my mom, she's like, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, uh, I was making teriyaki mashed potatoes. It must've been bad. So um, <laughs> sounds that is, though. that is no joke. And you know what? They were, they were like teriyaki sauce and mashed potatoes. It's like gravy. Like it makes yeah, ultimate I Asian, that. Asian fusion. I, how, why isn't that showing up on menus? I, I mean, I'm sure it is somewhere. It might after, after, after this. this podcast. After, after this, this. <laughs> if it shows up anywhere, I want to cut royalties. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. I think it's gonna be like forty dollars for a quarter cup of uh, teriyaki mashed potatoes, Asian fusion truck stop. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I I experimented a lot growing up. What was there? Uh, it, and, and it wasn't just food for fuel. Food for fuel. It really I I enjoyed cooking. Uh, always experimented. I don't know how to measure things really at all. Um, and you know, my grandmother. So my grandfather on my Filipino side really was the primary kind of. Um, motivator of, of Filipino food. So I cooked a lot of Filipino food growing up. And as well as on my grandmother's side, on my Chinese side, my grandmother was the primary cook. Um, and I learned tons of Chinese food, Chinese American food um, in the kitchen. So my grandmother um, let us watch. And there was always a secret ingredient that she wouldn't tell us. And so eventually, mm. as she got older, she would tell us and we'd be shocked at what was in it that was not yeah our favorite dish was this tomato shrimp that she used to make secret ingredient one guess ketchup <laughs> okay there you go my cousins and i when we found out we're like seriously grandma we, we waited years and years <laughs> for ketchup cool. is that what you're telling ketchup <laughs> grandma that's awesome yeah. And my, my grandfather, uh, so I learned Filipino food from my grandfather. And so I, you know, my, my, chick, my adobo, which is a Filipino dish that, um, every Filipino family who makes it has a different, like, this is the way you're supposed to make it. Uh, and so there's just tons of variety out there. And so I have my particular way that my grandfather made it, which is the only way you're supposed to make it. And so, you know, that is, that was always part of, um, uh, my growing up, but for me, I, I, it was out of necessity, but I, I enjoyed, I always was into presentation. I just, even my teriyaki mashed potatoes where, you know, I would put them in a, on a plate in the middle and try to make it look nice. I don't, I, I've always been that way around a lot of things. So uh, design and attention to detail food and um, yeah, my surroundings are really important to me. So um, in terms of what it actually looked like, I think, which is an interesting thing uh, you know, I don't, I, I didn't really use a microwave growing up. I didn't use anything mechanical growing up. It was all knives and and bowls. Uh, right. Unlike today, which is very different. So I don't know if you want me to talk about that yet. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Talk. Tell us about your yeah. your kitchen today and 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 how you see some of that those kitchen influences yeah. showing up in in your kitchen today. I don't know who's going to listen to this and who knows my <laughs> wife, but I'm going to say it anyway. So. <laughs> I married a person who eats for food for fuel. Mm. And so I, it took us a long time before I realized what was going on 
in our marriage because I would do these elaborate dinner parties and have people over and I would do these Chinese dishes and the presentation would be cool. And I thought it tasted good and all this. And she'd be like, yeah, it's good. I'm like what? Hey, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I've and, been you know, working that, all day on this. Yeah, I've, been, I've been working all day. And, and yeah, knowing, knowing Bruce as well as I do and knowing your Enneagram three, that must've hurt a lot. <laughs> I mean, I accomplished putting everything out. Um, so yeah, so that, but then, then we had dinner one time. Uh, so when, when my mother-in-law came to visit us, I gave my kitchen up. So it is my kitchen in this house, gave it up and she cooked and she made pot roast, which I'm like, I'm, I'm up for any kind of food. It's, it's I look so dry. I mean, it's the kind of like, that's why you have gravy. Like you, like it's that time you realize like, oh, now we know we have gravy is when you need to correct something else. And Robin was eating it. And, uh, and afterwards, you know, I'm ready to just talk smack about the meal. And afterwards, I'm like, Robin, that was, and, and Robin said, I, what? It, it was fine. And I'm like, oh, it all makes sense now. I, I think, and, and for me, it was like, oh, when people eat food for fuel, it really doesn't matter what it tastes like, what it like. Um, and then I realized that she's also an atmosphere person. So when, like when we've been to Europe, eating in Europe is different than eating at home. And so there's very different kinds of things. But um, so I've had to, over the years, be satisfied with my own presentation and enjoy it myself. That is actually a thing that I still, like if you have tater tots and steak at our house, you get it presented on a plate in a way that is designed lovely. And I no longer need them to be like, oh, it's so pretty. I just like, it's now become my need. And I understand. And that has been an actual shift in how I actually cook and prepare. It's like, I'm going to make it pretty because that's what I like and need. And it looks good on Instagram. So, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I, but, so I, that is one thing. But I, I, I will say I've tried to pass down eating or cooking things. My oldest child has taken on to on that, has turned into a, a great baker and has done, you know, is 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 not just a, a, a pandemic baker, but worked at a bakery in Minneapolis and uh, is does a lot of that. My younger two haven't really out. Uh, we'll walk out sometimes during our senior year at high school, our youngest, and she would have just eaten beans and corn out of two cans. There's, I mean, she's like, yeah, it was there and it was easy. And it was, you know, it's beans and corn. That's healthy, right? I'm like, oh, I can't really argue. Okay. But, but could you creatively so, rearrange the beans and the corn? No, no she just, I'd come down and she just <laughs> ate right out of the can. It, so I've, I've, I've learned that um, some of the cooking needs that I have are really my own. And, and to just be okay with that. And so I, but I make meals that satisfy my own taste and and emotions and all that. So I'll make adobo and that, that we do know in our family, like when we have chicken adobo, we always talk about grandpa. Um, when I, when I, we bust out my grandmother, who I was talking about died of COVID a year ago. And so we've, we, my cousin had grabbed a bunch of recipes from her in the last couple of years. And so, but they're all very similar to how I cook, right? It's like a little bit of pork, a little bit of this, a little bit. And so we're all like, uh, it would have been nice to have a little bit more than a fistful of. So, um, 
so we've been trying to make that a little bit more and that that's a little bit more spiritual when we do it mm-hmm. um but really they haven't they haven't taken on the the cooking thing as much and i actually think doordash has ruined it in many ways i think mm. I mean, there is something about now the ease, like we just ordered sandwiches that I'm going to eat after I'm done with you. Could we have made them ourselves? Sure. Yeah. But we didn't. Right. Yeah. No, that's so, real. Yeah. It, 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 but you know what I'll do? Even when things come in and my family laughs at me on this, we have this fancy wing, chicken wings place around here, this new Asian chicken wings place. When we order it, I still take it out of the boxes and put it on a platter to present them in a way that feeds my soul. I love it. So let me let me ask you this question. Robin sees food for fuel. Finish the sentence then for you. You see food for. Oh, food feeds my soul. Like I, it just, it, it, um, I enjoy food. Uh, and you know, I, I think like many people, you know, and people who know me, I've, I've had this off and on battle with weight and I've always been kind of a husky kid. And so, and, and I, and it's not about weight in terms of numbers, but for health and right. my, my, my blood numbers, that kind of thing. So I, but I enjoy food. I, I love good food and it just, I'm sitting around a table, having people around a table, the nature of gathering around a feast is always fed me. And I get that from my mother in many ways, uh, who always had strangers at the dinner, dining room table around holidays. And we'd walk in and we're like, who's this person? And my mom just had a friend, somebody she ran into at work and like, didn't have a place to go. And, and so we just got used to it. And like, we had to call the man to your uncle, whatever it was. So, you know, I think that, you know, that it, it definitely, and I think it, it is, I would say for, for Robin, it's not even just food for fuel. It's a necessary evil. Like it, like I really, like if she could just take a food pill, I think mm. she'd be all, all up for that. And that's taken a long time for me to just understand that's somebody else's different experience and understanding relationship with, with, with food. So um, I will say, I will add one more thing. Cause I've just out myself. I also have four different coffee making devices on my counter. It's ridiculous. We just we just got a siphon coffee maker. If you've ever seen a siphon coffee maker, I have not. I've heard I've heard of such things. So good. It it basically the water is it looks like an hourglass. It looks like this. Oh, you again, bad podcast. It looks like an hourglass. Describe, describe. And the water is in the bottom bulb, and there's a seal between the two, and the grounds are in the top one. It heats the water on the bottom and pushes it up into the top one. Push the pressure pushes through the grounds, and then it sits for two minutes, and then it, the suction pulls it back down through the grounds. And it is an amazing cup of coffee that doesn't take as much work. Um, as a pour over. Wow. Wow. And then we have a, we have an espresso machine that uh, the Europeans espresso machine and a coffee maker for large groups of people. And we also have a Keurig, which I, I will admit we'd have. <laughs> but it's okay. You have an EV. So it balance. That's exactly. So it balances out. <laughs> well played. So I am so curious to go back to this idea of um, food feeds your soul and you told us earlier about your presentation and like the way that you cook is, you know, and I very much resonate with this, like, what's the recipe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but then when you started talking about food for soul, you went straight to the eating in collective 
yeah. place. And I just kind of want to like pull you back into the kitchen for a minute and <laughs> to ask, dig a little deeper about how does actually the act of preparing food and, and maybe the presentation too, like how does that feed your soul? What is, what is that? How does that connect to your, yeah, your so faith I, or your spirituality or however you would word that? I, you know, I don't know if it's that deep. <laughs> So I, so there's something about having a kitchen that's yours, that is a place that you can control, Mm. right? That, that it grounds you in, and in the work that I do, you know, it's pastors and doing other, all this other stuff. And especially now the weight of the world and everything that seems so uncontrollable and, and um, uh, that disengages us. It's kind of like why I love doing the dishes, and I, I really do. I there's something about it grounds you in that space, and you have ultimate control about how things get done. I, cooking for me is in some ways that as well. I I I really I'm one of those um, probably parents that the kids will say, "Well, did your parents ever ask you to help?" I'm like, "Well, they asked, and then they did it themselves anyway." So I I you know I I I've learned like if I'm going to ask people to help in my kitchen, I really have to be able to kind of be fine with however things turn out because when i when i'm in in the kitchen i every detail to me is really important so how i dice onions and what they look like and the that you know what is how is the garlic done how do you um when even when i make salsa you know and i roast it like how am i cooking and roasting the things in the oven and so i there's i i would love to think it is a deeper connection to the food and to my hands and grounding it's also just a space that i get to have control over and create in a way that that i'm not worrying about other people's lenses and views and everything and i just get to create something um and then there's you know, clearly a percentage control need in there. So, so I think for me, how it resonates just with, it, it grounds me. I mean, I, I think of, mm-hmm. of any of the things I'd have to say right now, especially in, with what's going on in the world, it, it's a place that, that, you know, I'll pop on my headphones um, or listen to, you know, something and I just can be focused in that world for a little bit and not worry about other stuff. And, and I'm making particular dishes when I'm making dim sum and this particular uh, dumpling that my grandmother made, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about her the whole time. I mean, it's, it is yeah. in every cutting. And I remember what her stuffing looked like. And so mm-hmm. trying to cut the sausage in the way that looked like grandma's and my, my grandfather in the same way, like when we're making adobo, granted, we now use an Instapot. So it's not quite the same, but as I'm preparing the things, you know, I'm thinking of my grandfather. So there's a grounding of now and there's a grounding of where this all came from that that infiltrates all of that. It makes me think too, just thinking about like, I mean, I know you're kind of uh, critiquing yourself about the control, but I just also, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just me, ta- you know, trying to let myself off the hook. But I think about like the power of an artist having an art studio, like the power of like set yeah. apart space. I mean, and as pastors, we think about like sanctuaries, whether it's a traditional sanctuary or it's, but that there's something is powerful about saying in, in this space, I have space to create, be grounded. And I don't know. I mean, you know, again, maybe I'm working on my own control issues out through your 
admitting of your control issues. But I think there's something there that is like good in that. Yeah, like, no, I, I think I think you're right. But it, it's creating a space yeah. that is powerful to to yeah. hold that. And I have super high control needs. So many things can sure. be true at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yes, that's right. Multiple truths. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have a particular way that you load the dishwasher. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Let's just be very honest about that. And so I, and, and what, what we've done, and this is probably not what you want to talk about, but it's like, that's just my job because it's yeah. about me. And I'm like, that's just what I get to do. And that's the deal in our house. The dishwasher is always empty and I get to come in and load it the right way. Right. So I think there's, there's just, you know, wise. And, right, you just figure out how you, so there is a, I will say, I, I love the image and I think you're absolutely right. I think there is something about when I step into that space, I get to just kind of, and, and nobody else, there's no conflict about that space, right? There's no one, we're not jockeying for anything unless we've decided we're going to do something together. Um, and I can, and I can give up the space if I don't have any real high needs about it. When my, my oldest comes over, I don't bake. Um, and so, you know, Ev says, I'm going to bake stuff. I'm like, the kitchen is yours. Right. Mm. And so, you know, I think, but I think you're right. There is some sanctuariness about it that is, is, is real. I mean, that is, and, and, and healing and especially again, especially during these times, just needing something that feels that, that feels whole, uh, which it just feels like there's not, not a lot of places these days. Yeah. Well, I, and I don't know if this is true, you, but I found that where, where kitchen used to be the place where, you know, we'd have, you know, people will be over and, you know, everyone congregates there and it's this gathering place. I mean, I think that still happens with the few people who are, you know, family members, but I I found from the the pandemic, it has become more of a sanctuary space. One, because there literally aren't a bunch of people in it, but two, because I'm so craving, you know, my home as a whole is not that anymore because it's, it, all the whole world is right here. So to be able to say, no, for this 45 minutes, you know, yeah, maybe I have a podcast on, maybe I have music on, but I'm not checking my email. I'm not listening to the news. I'm doing this thing with my hands in this place. So I just find it's interesting because I feel like the kitchen so often, I think if you'd asked me two years ago, and even as somebody who was, you know, had, my kitchen was you know, as a single person for many years, there weren't necessarily a lot of people in it, but my, my thought would be, oh, kitchen is place of congregation. Like kitchen is place of people coming together. I now would use the words more of like, sometimes the kitchen is really a sanctuary. It's like a, it's a safe place to be. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, that feels different. Yeah. And I, and I missed that other part of it, right. Where everybody ends up hanging out in the kitchen, even though every, you know, the living room was totally. set for everybody to hang out at, but everybody ends up in the kitchen. Uh, and we just, we don't get to do that. I think that's the thing. And, you know, I think when we're recording this, you know, around the, uh, the holidays, you know, that everybody was hoping we were going to get back to that a little bit right now. And I, you know, and, and that's again, taking another, another hit. So, you know, I think that, I think you're right. I mean, that was always our household. We'd all hang out in the kitchen and, and always be, you know, it's kind of a, a game like we'd all come in because grandma's cooking something that we're all trying to get a little snack from and grandma would tell us get out and we're like we're gonna try and come in again get out. and so there's something about that that is just you know we miss it obviously uh but just something that is it that that builds memory and and, and builds kind of the holiness of of the gathering um that we don't we we we've been forced into not having anymore for at least a bit so yeah i I agree with you it's it has shifted for sure 
So you've you've talked a little bit about cooking connecting you to specific family heritage, to your mm-hmm. grandparents in particular. Um, how do you find cooking connects you to sort of larger sense of heritage from from your Filipino side, from your Chinese side? Like in 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 what ways do you feel connected to those those larger groups while you are in the kitchen? So I'd say for my Chinese side, uh, because Chinese American food is so it's it's so much of a mishmash of things and it's there's been so much kind of things over over time and you can't really and i I come from southern chinese stock which are more peasant stock so cantonese speaking and so there isn't as much judgment around kinds of food like you're not presenting a, a a particular thing it's not like uh, you can get chow mein wrong or you can get fried rice wrong you may have preferences but there's not the same it's interesting on my filipino side there's very strong familial or um, uh, provincial from the Philippines ways that you do things that um, uh, help to locate you and your history. Uh, hmm. So, um, you know, how I, what, what, what even we call food or what we call each other in the kitchen or in the household determines where you're from in the Philippines and where your family lineage is. So um, for me as a third generation, my grandparents coming over, I both, connect because I'm making Filipino food and people ask my kids sometimes like, well, where do you get the fest Filipino food? And they're like, I don't know. We just eat Filipino food at our house. Like we don't, I mean, it's because it, it's just part of what we do. Like we have, you know, rice and everything. And that's a big joke in the Filipino food community that there's rice with hamburgers, rice with whatever you always have rice. And so my kids grew up with that. And, but there's also this in the Filipino American community, a, a huge debate about are you Filipino enough? And so what kinds of you know, it comes from everything? Do you speak the language? Which dialects do you speak? Uh, who are your friends? What kind of music? What kind of TV? What kind of things? What does your household look like to to do? that we self-determine if you are Filipino enough, which is not good, but that's what happens. And so the Filipino cooking thing also for me, like there's certain dishes that I don't know how to make and I have not ventured into like, I don't want to learn how to make this or, you know, so I think for me, there's sometimes a reminder of some of the disconnect that I might have that comes to your food uh, because it's been so familial passed down. Like these are the things that my family made and I know, and I'm confident about that. These other ones, I could do it and it would be fine, but I, I don't want, I there's part of me in my oppositional behavior. I don't want to find myself trying to prove my Filipino-ness by how, what things I can make or can't make. And there there's that world in, in the Filipino community. So I, I have a, a both, uh, uh, when it comes to Filipino food, uh, um, very grounding, but also it's, it's, it, it is a, 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 a Filipino American struggle always to have about how Filipino you are. And so um, that's always sits there as I'm thinking about what I'm going to make, especially around Filipino food. Um, I will say that um, in the last five, six years, the number of amazing Filipino chefs that have been out and make and opening their own restaurants featuring Filipino food has also expanded. And so we actually do now more in the last five or six years, more than ever have gone out to Filipino food in restaurants that we didn't do before, uh, which has been a whole other, it's young uh, millennial types who have found these spaces and are doing some amazing things with very traditional Filipino food. Um, 
that we've has opened up even for me and my kids food that we'd not had before because it was from a different area in the Philippines um, or it was too complicated for us to make ourselves. And so that's another part that that is uh, connects me to that to, to that side. And do you think that shifts your kids connection and their identity? I mean, how does that show up? I know that they're not yeah. really into the cooking, but how, how does how does the food piece show up for their generation in terms it's, of it's I mean it's all contextual right they're the super Filipino people when there aren't a lot of other Filipinos around and they can they're that that's and then they look at you know they do it to other Filipinos too like other Filipinos will run into who don't know something they're like what how, how can you not know that and I'm like okay now you've been in spaces where people have said to you, well, why don't you speak the language? Right. So, you know, it, it, it's a very navigating this Filipino American world that is so interwoven with American culture in the Philippines and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, so my kids, I think I go undergo the same kind of struggle. Like they know most of the food, right. And they have their five or six things that if they go in a Filipino restaurant, I know what they're going to get because they know mm-hmm. those five things. Um, and so, you know, I think they're having the same kind of internal struggles that 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 I've had, that other Filipino Americans have had. Uh, but I will say that they, rather than shy away from that, they're both in their colleges involved in a, um, a Filipino, the Filipino student organizations. And so they they all go and, and the conversations are always about how are we Filipino enough? And that's everybody because we've all that is an ongoing conversation that we have. So I think food plays into that greatly. Most of their gatherings are over food and they're trying different things from different regions of the Philippines and trying to expand each other's understanding of of what it means to be Filipino. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. My kids have, have, uh, have a pretty healthy and normal um, uh, and embraced understanding of their Filipino culture. It's a little different on the Chinese side. They're not quite, they're, you know, their grandparents are Chinese and they engage, but not in the same way. Uh, Filipino culture is super overwhelming and, uh, and very extra. So um, it basically takes over everything in my family. So uh, my poor kids, my Chinese side's like, you know, we're here too. I'm like, I know. Well, <laughs> But I, I, it's really interesting because I, I think that for all of us who are hyphenated American, there is this sort of connected, this connection to, are you, you know, and in my growing up, like, are you black enough? Are you Filipino enough? Are you yeah. Asian enough? Are you, are you Hispanic enough? Um, that's connected with food of like, do you eat? Mm-hmm. Do you eat certain things like yeah. for for the thing I I get a lot is okra like I I don't I don't eat okra and therefore I'm not black enough um but but okra is slimy and so so good so, so when Robin, someone, Robin so when someone fixes that then I I will I will become blacker but um <laughs> will you will you grow okra. I will, I will grow the flower, it. The flowers got, are really pretty. It's got beautiful flowers. And and so well, I've I will, never seen an okra flower. What color are they? Yeah, they're they can be oh, all kinds of different colors. Oh, really? But they're 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 gorgeous. They're um they're they're this is super tangent. Um they're related to hibiscus, so they look like hibiscus flowers. Oh. Um so they're they're gorgeous, but they're slimy. Anyway, um <laughs> But I think that's the flowers I, aren't slimy. Just the, the, the flowers aren't slimy. The, the, the okra themselves are slimy. And actually, like people have been sending me, you know, tons of great okra recipes that I have because they need to fix you apparently. Because I need to be. <laughs> 
sufficiently black so that I can, <laughs> you know, uh, operate uh, in the world. Um, but but it, but it's it's interesting that like food becomes this litmus test of belonging for these different cultural groups, and it's really interesting that food can can play that role of oh you you don't eat that well you you clearly have this you you weren't raised right. Yeah, no, it's true. It's so weird. It's, it's so weird. It is. It yeah. is. And it's and and yet I, I think that that does just speak to um, how strongly we identify um, our foods, you know, yeah. our, the need to have our foods that identify and mark us and and call us who we are. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's done their PhD on this. I mean, I, I, right? I mean, because it's so true. It's I, I think it's food and language. Yes. Like those two things, right? Whether it's whether it's vernacular or whatever, right? I mean, if you're told if you're black and you're like, well, you sound really white, I'm like, what does that even mean? Right. Right. right, right? <laughs> but I'm black, so I actually yeah. I, I mean, the same way as like I get asked all the time when I go on any Filipino space of with elders, well, do you speak? And then I've been in places where it's like, well, we're going to speak English today because Bruce is here. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Thanks very much. And then, and let's meet his beautiful American wife. That's the other, you know, but you know, other than that, well, that's a whole other podcast, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's fascinating. Fascinating. Well, it's not, it's not a whole other podcast because of my next question. Um <laughs> Uh, it's about my beautiful American wife. It is about your beautiful American wife. Um, well, but you've kind of tipped your hand about the, at this already, in because I'm I'm interested in like you're a, you're in a multiracial family, and and I, I'm interested in is there are there ways that uh, for Robin that her family's history, other than you know her. The, the dry pot terrible roast. like um <laughs> that her histories and traditions are 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 coming through in uh what, what you're cooking like do you mm, is that sure. something that you think about of like cooking cooking things from her tradition or things from her history and is yeah. or is it just kind of like like you said the filipino side takes over everything over, it's is, is that is that is that something that just gets kind of lost in 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 uh in the soup there yeah no like that's that, that's a yeah my, my kids all look asian like robin when she was pushing them around as infants would always be asked like where they're adopted from and uh so yeah the the brown is strong on my side <laughs> um you know it's interesting you asked that so i think part of it is like i'm so excited when she's excited about anything food related I'm like oh Okay, so I can go a little overboard, I'm sure. Like, just, just like, okay, I'm done having this because you've made it now 12 times this month. Um, <laughs> but I will say I probably deep fried catfish more than I've ever done, hmm. you know, ever. Because she she has uh, roots in, in Florida and, uh, um, and still has family there. And they had a pond in the, back, in the backyard that Uncle Jim would go out and catch catfish and skin them right there. And they'd have catfish and then they'd go out to the uh, pump, the watermelon patch and grab watermelons right out of the patch and crack them open and eat them there. So, so I will say there are these, there are these, and again, as I mentioned before, there's kind of an atmospheric um, part for Robin and the, the, the place that she, that 
make her feel the experience. So, um, so catfish is definitely one. And she spent time in France as an exchange student. And that was a very formative time for her. So, you know, I, we, we will share, uh, we share a common love of good cheese and wine and we'll create, you know, of course it'll look pretty on the plate. Of course. I don't think that, I don't think she cares about that, but the fact that we, you know, that, that those things definitely remind her. Now here's the question that you might not want to answer yeah. on the air. It's, have you, um, there is no pot such thing. Just, yeah. Just have you mastered pot roast yeah, so, to show like what a pot roast. See, but it wouldn't matter. I've, like. give, I've, I've given does, up on trying to do that because so, cause I've made it. Certainly you? before. <laughs> Yeah, well, it it would it, it like I've made it before, and I make and you know it falls off. You know, if I'm making a thing, it'll fall off together, and like it's there's a thing, great sauce and all that. I've stopped trying to say now, isn't this good? <laughs> this is the, now. This is 31 years of marriage wisdom that we're hearing here. You know, you I'm sure you certainly because yeah. right. I mean, because I could try. She'd be like, yeah, it's great. Like, but it's just, I mean, really. Yeah. probably doesn't yeah. you know it's it's fine i guess and there's no like there's not a negative judgment on it for me i just had to give that part up like i've really just had to be like i'm i'm doing this because it brings my own soul joy like yeah. and it would probably destroy myself if i cook something it was terrible like let's just be clear about that yeah. but i you know like when we make pot roast it's it's just you know it oh so good <laughs> <laughs> Well, and my my guess is, is that there are a few things that you make are, that are terrible. So it's, you know, it, it works out. Uh, well, I, you know, as a three on the Enneagram, once that happens, I don't do it again. <laughs> I'm not risking failure pain, twice. This is, this, is, this is such a painful, revealing conversation. Um, <laughs> I love I love when threes talk to each other. It makes me really happy. <laughs> it's true. I um, might experiment. I might experiment one time more if I like. Oh, I know what I did wrong, and I can easily yeah, fix if, it because because I can master it. Because I can fix it. But if it's something I'm like, oh, I'm just not good at this. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I know what it. you're talking about. <laughs> um, I love it. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, moving on to the next question. Moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so. We touched on this a bit, but I'm curious if you, how are you to describe your faith traditions relationship to food? Um, we talked more about your family traditions, but you are yeah. also a pastor, Presbyterian, and I think would identify that's as Christian. That's what they say. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, some days at least. Um, I, love, I think that... you'd identify as a Christian. That's what they say on Twitter too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think exactly. you, apparently you identify as a Christian. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know that 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 is interesting. You know, I've never been into one of been one of those like, oh, Presbyterians love potlucks. I'm like, everybody loves potlucks, right? Like, it, like come on, yeah, come on, everybody loves potlucks. Um, you know, I don't. That's an interesting question. I'm not really, other than when I begin to think about the table, and there's something about. I will often refer to the table, and you know, and I introduce communion the moment when somebody is sitting around the table and says something profound that changes the nature of the gathering, right? Whether it's your grandmother who says something or it's the newest kid that gets to sit at the grown-up table, whatever it is, there's something that changes what happens, right? So I think about it in the, in the act of gathering and eating, but not any particular 
Like I wouldn't say, oh, this comes out of my, other than I grew up in a Filipino Presbyterian church, right? So the food is like, that's intertwined out of my particular congregational experience. Uh, so, you know, when I think about lumpia, uh, you know, Filipino egg rolly thing, you know, I, I think about my home church that their biggest social and and fundraising gathering was rolling lumpia all day and freezing it. And then we'd all go home with it. And, and now they're at a point where they can't do that anymore because the church is small and older. And so I, so I think that in that way, there are these moments and these gatherings of community around food in my, my Filipino-ness in that place that's certainly very strong. But I don't know if I would, other than the imagery of the table and the feast, like I don't even care what bread we use. Like I, I'm one of those that I grab you know, online, online worship, I'm like grab something to eat or drink around the house. That's what Jesus did and bring it to the table. And some people, I got a conversation with, with some Presbyterians like, Oh, good Lord. Really? <laughs> like, oh, I, you went like basically you West coast pastors. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know, like I, so in that way, I don't, worship the 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 elements of the food like of the meal but more of the the like what what are we doing together um kind of thing but i can't think of any like is there a presbyterian food no yeah i was like is there no, there's not <laughs> something that we do that is i don't even know what's in a presbyterian to drink so uh it's scotch and ginger ale <laughs> is that what and why do we know why do we know the history uh, just you know, Scotland Presbyterian, you know, from Scotland. Upset, upset stomachs. Upset, upset stomachs. <laughs> have, have the flu a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. GI I, I issues. Uh, yeah, the, all of those things go together. <laughs> I I do feel like when when we start to decline, that food things are the first things to go. Mm. Like our gatherings together to, around meals, our gatherings together to have meals together. It feels like those are the things that we, you know, we won't we won't get rid of a session meeting, we won't get rid of a board meeting, we won't get rid of a budget meeting, but we will get rid of that fellowship around a table. And I think that also is kind of an indictment of where mainline churches are. And that's yeah, that's I, a soapbox. I, so do we do we think I, I'm trying to think, are there any because I almost think though that food is so culturally driven that it is it, it it lands depending on a context of a particular community. So I was trying to yeah. are there any religious traditions that we would say, oh, these are yeah, that's a good this. question. I mean, I know it I know an Asian tradition around some of the Buddhist kind of ritual and tradition there are particular foods that you eat at a particular time yep. so that there is some more connection but like do we even have a particular food that we eat at a particular time i don't know that protestants do i think catholics do though i think they have and, I, and again but i think it's like ethnic pockets of of catholicism right. that will have like what's uh, the king a, cake thing that's what is that? That's um, <laughs> look at us all like we're so ecumenical. Great, like, like, I, I, I know that. it's I know it's I know it's a thing. Uh, <laughs> right, because oh, there's yeah, like I was saying like things like that around because around well, uh, Fat Tuesday, right? 
there's a little bit of pancakes yeah a little bit of food stuff i've actually never done one so there again i know they exist conceptually and i was very confused the first time i was i was introduced to the pancake thing like that wasn't something that i grew up with and then all of a sudden people are like it's Shrove tuesday have pancakes i'm like what no (laughs) (laughs) so we asked this we asked this question and 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 you can you can tie this into food if you want to but this question about what what is giving you hope and not not a hope that ignores the challenges of the world around us but like a hope that actually gets you out of the bed and able to face some of those challenges yeah i mean this seems to be the question of the day for us all right because if we don't answer that for ourselves at a certain level every day you know we just spiral downward my answer this week has been, this is the second time I've been asked this question in the last couple of days, is that um, my hope lies in my ability recently to answer the question, what is enough? Hmm. And um, to really answer that and be okay with the answer. Uh, because I think, you know, not just because I'm a three, but just I think in the culture, you know, we don't know what that is. And we say lots of things might be enough, but then we get to that point and they're like, Oh, that's not enough. We got to do more. And so, or have more or whatever. So I've, I push myself and the congregation I'm serving to answer the question, what is enough? And that has been really freeing and hopeful for me because somehow more than not, I found the courage to answer the question and then live with it. So tons of stuff have failed as I've um, these last six months. And some of you will know this. I had COVID, I was in the hospital and was out for a couple of months. And that question about what is enough became like, I was never going to die. I mean, we didn't really think that I was at that level, but it's enough to be like, again, to ask the question about what's enough and what's important. And uh, again, um, most of the time, I think we answer that answer that intellectually, but then um, don't pay attention to it when we reach the point. And so I've, I've found a lot of hope just in myself, um, being able to ask, ask myself the question, find a response that I'm comfortable with and then live with that. And so that's, that's everything from my work hours to how, um, how good I need certain things to look like this is enough. It's, it's fine. People don't need to know that you spent two hours looking at images for this slideshow. Right. Maybe you don't need to spend two hours looking for images for the slideshow. <laughs> um, really? And- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but don't what? That's that, what? that's not but that what? Yeah, that's just too much. You call yourself a Christian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So I that that for me, you know, I think there are there are other things that I brought into my space and patterns we've developed in our household and Robin and my relationship as we've moved into a different phase of our life that that give me grounding but more of like this is we're going to be okay um, for me has been uh, the question about what is enough it's really good I'll take that with me that's gospel thank you so um, a little annoying like the gospel but <laughs> really helpful <laughs> it sucks but but super liberating like i have let more things fail and not worried about it than i've ever done in my entire i'm 26 years now than i've ever done before because there's just certain things that don't actually matter the real like yeah and 
and mm-hmm. it does and other, th- and other things that do yeah exactly right. yeah yeah and bruce if people wanted to connect with you um because after this they'll want to um <laughs> what are some ways they that gotta see can... your perfect instagram, <laughs> That's right. instagram. And, and and they're missing out on my background that they're missing that out on your background and all, like all whatever the rate like background ratings or whatever that kind of stuff is i i, I am not a crafty person so they're like if if uh uh i again this is not a surprise i need my background to look particularly in the way it is but i put galvanized pipes on my walls and i took the slats from under a bed and stained them and made my shelves. And they look very nice. It is about as crafty. You've carefully arranged the plants and the books and the posters and, and things. And, 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 right. and if you were to look at this, you would see that the pots match the color scheme on my book. Whoa. <laughs> totally nice. not planned. Totally not planned, though. Somebody's like, did you do that on purpose? I'm like, well, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so if people wanted to connect with you and see oh, sorry. The, what was the, the artistry of your of your uh of oh, your my background and all yes, of those question. sorts of things yeah so uh, if you want to get in touch with me uh, I can be reached at at B Reyes Chow on all the platforms on all the socials. And that's, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm, I'm also active on Twitter and Facebook and all that. Um, and uh, my website is Reyes hyphen Chow.com. You can find if you um, claim to not be able to find me, it's a lie. You haven't really tried. I'm the only Ray. I'm the only Reyes hyphen Chow in the world. So um, yeah. So buy the books uh follow let's connect uh, i love interacting online uh and yeah so at b reyes chow and all the socials and reyes chow.com thank you for that and yes buy the books the books are he's uh he's actually a, a very good writer um and so i would i would definitely commend uh, did he say actually he's actually despite the way this conversation has gone he's actually a very good writer <laughs> Uh, unless he's unless he's writing about religious traditions, food uh, things, which apparently none of us don't are. Which, which yeah, like don't that, buy that one. Don't buy that book. Uh, but the rest of them are, are very good. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for for being on the show. We appreciate you and all the work you've done, and uh, just the level of reflection that you've given us today. Thank you. Great. Thank you for having me. It's all, it was it was great. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org. <laughs>